Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. I'm your host, Adam Homey, and I want to welcome you and let you know that if you fall into one of the following four categories of business creators, you're in the right place. If you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or local business owner, if you're a marketing or business coach, if you're somebody who helps others win at the game of marketing, somebody whose business is dedicated towards helping others in their areas of marketing, their areas of growing their business and winning at the game. And do-it-yourselfers who love to have your own hands on the levers as you run and grow your own businesses. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, Take a moment, look us up on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. You'll find all of our previous episodes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us spread the message. Today, I'm especially honored to have with us somebody who I've admired and respected for a long time, a gentleman named Larry Wingett, who's known as the pit bull of personal development, the rock star of personal finance, and has also been called the king of common sense. And what Larry's going to share with us today is the cold, hard, ugly truth about success. And I know speaking with so many entrepreneurs, so many business owners, so many local business entrepreneurs, that many business owners out there tend to be walking contradictions. We shout out, we want success, or I am a success story. And then we go out and practice action to just bring about failure. Now, your business will improve when the people in the business improve and everything in life gets better when we get better and nothing gets better until we get better. Now, what I love about Larry Wingett is the way he attacks traditional business wisdom, and I'm really looking forward to today's episode because I know he's going to kind of stand things on their head for us and show us a way to think differently, which is very important. You're going to see some simple truths and a realistic approach that we know will work for you and will work for anyone at any time and in any business. Now, Larry likes to say you don't think your way to excuse me you don't think your way to success, believe your way to success, or happy your way to success. You only work your way to success, and that's something that I strongly believed in. I found that the harder I work, the luckier I get. Now, just to tell you a little bit about Larry, for those of you who have not heard of him, although I think that's probably very few people at this point, uh, he's a six-time New York Times, Wall Street Journal best-selling author whose books have been translated in over 20 languages a member of the International Speaker Hall of Fame. He starred in his own television series and appeared in national television commercials. Larry is also seen as a regular contributor on many news shows on the topics of money, personal success, parenting, and business. Larry is the trademarked pit bull of personal development, and he's been on CNBC's The Millionaire Inside. He's starred in his own PBS special called Success is Your Own Fault. He's frequently a business contributor on MSNBC. He's also a regular on Fox News and Fox Business, so he kind of spans the entire spectrum. You can see Larry Winger pretty much anywhere. He's been on so many other national shows. I could pretty much run the gamut. The Larry King Show, Today's Show, uh, The Big Idea with Donnie Dutch and Dr. Phil. And I could just go on and on and on and on and on. And one of his newest books called Grow a Pair, How to Stop Being a Victim and Take Back Your Life, Your Business, and Your Sanity, this was released on September 12, 2013, and instantly hit the Wall Street Journal and New York Times bestsellers list. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I have said plenty, although I know there's still so much more to say about Larry, but I think at this point we're going to have Larry tell you. So, Larry, how are you doing today? I'm always good. Listening to that introduction, I'm fascinated to hear what I have to say. 
<laughs> well, tell you what, Larry, before we dive in, now, I read off the official biography with just some of the citations and some of the great things you've done, uh, but what I'd like to do is just sort of take a step back, because I know that there are still a small handful of people out there, about half of whom uh, have taken residence underneath rocks, who may not have heard of you yet. And what I'd like to do is just give them a chance to get to know Larry Wingett a little bit, um, and just tell us a little bit in your own words and your own story about, you know, what's gotten you to where you are today, and what transformed you and made you the pit bull of personal <laughs> development? You know, I grew up dirt poor in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Uh, okay. Never had much. My folks didn't have much, just good old-fashioned hardworking folks. Uh, worked in retail. Dad worked for Sears. Mom worked in a gift shop. And uh, what I discovered when I was eight year, uh, in the eighth grade, I was 13 years old, I walked into my civics class, and a kid looked up at me and said, Wingett, are you so poor you only have one pair of blue jeans? And it was true. And they had a rip in the pocket. That's how I knew I was wearing the same pair every day. And I was busted and humiliated and embarrassed. And at that moment, my life changed forever. I made a decision at that very moment no one would ever embarrass me for being broke again. And I made the decision. I was going to figure out what it was going to take to get rich. Now, I didn't have any role models of what rich looked like. There weren't a lot of rich people in Muskogee, Oklahoma, uh, right. I didn't. I, I didn't have any idea what that was going to take, but I knew that I was going to do whatever it took to make enough money so nobody could embarrass me again. The only thing I ever knew how to do uh, better than anybody else was I could outwork them. It uh, didn't matter what it was. I could work harder than anyone. I could go in earlier. I could stay longer. I could do whatever it took to work harder. I could work out anyone, and that was my philosophy for success growing up. I can outwork you. So any job that I took, I just worked harder than everybody else. That's really been the key to success uh, for me as a speaker. I work harder than everybody. As a writer, I work harder than everybody. Most people write one book. I write five books uh, right. in the same amount of time. So that's what I did. I, and, I, you know, I just got good jobs and worked hard. And uh, many, many years later, I, I started as a telephone operator for the Southwestern Bell. While I was going to college, I ended up as the area sales manager for the state of Kansas for AT&T. When divestiture happened, the Bell system broke up. I left, started my own company, uh, did real well at that, went to work one day, and the Corporation Commission ruled that what I did in the telecommunications industry in the state of Oklahoma was no longer going to be legal, and I was out of business. So I went to work one day, a rich guy, went home that day, broke, out of business, it was over. So uh, I decided... Um, my life just changed dramatically. I'm going to be a speaker. I'm going to be a trainer, a sales trainer. Didn't really know a lot about that. My wife worked for the company with me, and I said, you better get a job while I try to figure this out. And uh, so she did. And I became a uh, sales trainer. I'd written a lot of training material for AT&T, and then I discovered while I was doing all the sales training, people thought I was really funny. And I discovered <laughs> they pay you a whole lot more to make people laugh than they do to teach them how to sell. So I sort of became a a motivational humorist, and I would do luncheons and after-dinner speech, speeches and talked about all that typical motivational crap that now I make fun of. And uh, about 10 years into that, I just discovered that I hated every word that came out of my mouth. I didn't like my audiences. It got to the point I just couldn't stand my family or my staff, the people who worked for me and booked me and all that. I hated it all. And I said, folks, I'm out of here. And uh, I went to Arizona and parked myself trying to figure out who Larry Wingett was. And uh, through a series of events, I was watching Dennis Miller in an interview, and Miller said, um, 
what really changed his life was understanding that most comedians go on stage to endear themselves to the audience. The audience will like them. And if the audience likes you, they will laugh at you. He said, my problem was I wasn't very endearing, so I gave it up. And the instant he said okay. that, again, another light went on in my life, and I said, I'm going to give it up too because I'm not very endearing either. Called my manager, called my wife, said, I'm not sure what things are going to look like moving forward, but they're going to be different. The next time I went on stage, a guy heckled me. I turned on him and said, won't you shut up, stop wanting, and get a life, buddy. And the audience stood and gave me a standing ovation, and I went, that is a good line right there. And I pretty much built a career on shut up, stop whining, and get a life. I made the decision I'd never go on stage and say what the audience wanted to hear again. I'd just go on stage and say what I thought. And I didn't care whether they liked it or not. If they did, good. If they didn't, I'd go work for somebody else or I'd go back to selling telephone systems or something. But I was going to be authentic. Authenticity is is such a valuable commodity these days because we have so few people who are authentic. So authenticity has been the key to my success. And when I was willing to become authentic and say what I really felt and believed, I discovered people will pay a premium for authentic right. uh, for authentic information. I think you're absolutely right about that. And I got to tell you something. We want to talk about resonance with the message. I have a nine-month-old kid in here. Her name is Batman. Yes, her name is Batman. You know how it is. Uh, when a five-year-old kid hands you a phone, what do you do? I guess you take it. <laughs> you an, you answer that shit, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same. It's the same thing when when the kid uh, gives the kitty a silly name. That's the cat's name. Well, she normally is the type that just kind of runs around and hides during the day and then pounces on me all night. But for some reason, she's curled up on me and she's purring right into the phone. So there's something resonant here. I'm not sure exactly what it is. But we're <laughs> going to discover that over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, but I'd like to get your thoughts on something. Um, here on the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide, as our listeners know, the tools, the techniques, and strategies that help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And my listeners also know that whenever I'm interviewing a guest expert like Larry Wingett, that not only am I interviewing, but I'm also sitting next to the audience with pen and paper in hand looking for that edge that I'm going to take back to my business, I'm going to take back to my life, and I'm going to use it to get even more success. And I know that we're going to get to a couple edges off this interview right here. Now, this is a question I ask everybody because a lot of our listeners tell me that they have everything that they need. They say, well, I can pretty much do anything that Larry Winget or anybody else tells me to do, except I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money. I mean, this, this, this is something we ask everybody who appears on the show, but I have been waiting to get you on here because I know you're going to have something to say about that. Yeah, those are probably the most common excuses uh, and right. don't ever tell me those are a reason. Those are not reasons people are not successful. I became successful and I was broke. I can show you lots of people who came from nothing and have become phenomenal successes. So money is a stupid excuse. Time is an even more stupid excuse. You have the same amount of time as the average billionaire has. You just don't use your time wisely. When you realize that the average American spends four hours a day watching television, and then they tell me they don't have time to read a book, they don't have time to be successful, they don't have time to take a class, they don't have time to listen to great information that they could get on in audio form, they don't have time to watch a, a video of a great speaker so they could be more educated. No, they have plenty of time they don't just they just don't choose to use their time wisely and so that's what it really comes down to is priorities 
Uh, in fact, I think everything pretty much comes down to priorities. If it is important enough for you to become successful, you will figure out how to become successful. You will find the money. You will find the time. The problem is, for most people, it's not important enough for them to sacrifice. We have idiots out there, speakers in my industry, professional personal development people, out there telling people you can have it all. And we hear, I, you could hear them in your head right now saying, folks, you can have it all. You can have whatever you want. No, you can't. You can't have it all. You have to choose. You have to say no to some things. You know, they tell you you can get success. I don't believe you can get success. I think you have to give up what's keeping you from being successful. You don't get healthy. You give up what's making you unhealthy. You don't get skinny. You give up what's making you fat. And you don't get rich. You give up what's making you broke. I think I'm the only guy out there that talks about you've got to give some stuff up. Success comes from sacrifice. And sadly, in today's society, we've become so entitled, we don't think we ever have to give anything up. We don't think we have to do without on any level. And we don't believe in sacrifice anymore. I can definitely vouch for that. I can absolutely say that's true. Um, now, what I'd like to do here is I'd like to change things up a little bit because you bring up a very – Interesting point. Uh, you know, we're talking about how the average human being walking around, the average American, the average British person, whatever it is, they have the same 24 hours a day that Warren Buffett has. They have the same 24 hours a day that Donald Trump has. Billionaires aren't given extra time. They have the same amount of time as you and I do. But uh, there's a reason why they're billionaires and other people are watching TV. Now, I think that there's more to this. And I've heard you say that people who are broke are broke because they want to be. What do we yeah, mean by that? That's the title of one of my books. You're broke because you want yeah. to be. <laughs> right. Right, right. What, I mean, what exactly does that mean? How, how is it that people want to be broke? Because if I ask walk to somebody up on the street and I say, hey, do you want to be bankrupt, broke, have maxed out credit cards, not enough money to eat, they're going to say, hell no. But So, so how is it they want to be broke? <laughs> They must want to be broke because most people are broke. I could run through all the stats on people's financial situation right now, and it would just be embarrassing. When you consider that we got 40% of Americans who spend more money than they make, no one's holding a gun to those people's head making them go spend more money than they make. It was their choice to do that. You see, I okay. believe every area of your life is exactly like you want it to be. You're broke because you want to be. Uh, if your relationships are a mess, you must want them to be a mess. If you're fat and unhealthy, you must want to be fat and unhealthy. I've never seen anybody eat anything by accident. They did it on purpose. It was their choice to do that. Everything mm -hmm. in your life is exactly the way you want it to be. Otherwise, it would be different. So don't tell me you don't like how your life is. You love how your life is. If you hated it, you would love another way of life, and that's where you would put your time to make sure that that's the kind of life you were living. That's not the case. People like things just the way they are. It's comfortable. It's, they would rather suffer in comfort and suffer than make themselves uncomfortable and do what it takes to be successful. That is very profound and I love what you say where you know if you ate something nobody forced you to eat it and it just made me think of an experiment you know what I'm going to do for dinner I'm just going to prove this to myself even though I already know the answer I'm going to when I you know, after you know we do this interview and after I get some stuff in with the clients and I write some stuff for my list and things like that and I call it a day I'm going to go over in the kitchen over in the next room and I'm going to cook myself up uh, my famous vegetable fried rice recipe I'm going to put that on a plate and I'm going to leave it sitting on my dining room table and I'm just going to stare at it and see if it finds way into my mouth 
It won't. I guarantee <laughs> it's going to sit there on the plate until I take a fork and put it into the rice and move it up to my mouth and gulp. I pretty much guarantee that's the only way that food's going to get in me. So uh, now, remind, now, speaking of things like this, um, I hear so many people saying that there's a push-button solution for things, and I kind of already know your answer to this. I mean, we're talking about push-button traffic or push-button success or, you know, get rich quick or just do these three things and you'll be an instant millionaire. And I personally don't believe that because I think I've tried 300 of those things and I'm not quite a millionaire yet, but I know that I haven't gotten anywhere doing that stuff. It's other things I'm doing that are making me successful. Now, a while ago, Larry, I watched a video, and this is one of my favorite videos of yours that's on your blog at LarryWingett.com, and this was about you answering a viewer's question about what it takes to be successful in multi-level marketing, and I love what you had to say about that, and I was wondering if you could share a couple of those things with our audience here today. Sure, and what you're talking about, I, I have a series on YouTube called Ask Larry Anything, where people can write yes. me any question in the world, and I'll answer it. Now, uh, it, they don't always like my answers, but I don't figure that's why they wrote me. But I'll answer anything anybody writes me. And I do get a lot of questions about MLM organizations. Listen, they are a great way for the people at the top to get rich. And while anybody could get rich in MLM, look at the statistics. Overwhelmingly, very few people become rich. Very few people make any money. Here's what happens in right. typical MLM. You buy your own stuff, your starter kit, and then right. you use up your starter kit knocking on doors for the handful of friends that, that you can get to sit down to talk to you about your new business. And you will quickly find out that friends stop answering your call, and those people that you do get a, a time to sit down with, they won't be your friends anymore because you are taking advantage of them. You are taking advantage of the friendship. Listen, if you, and that's one of my biggest problems with MLM. You take advantage of friends instead of running it like a business. A business means that you have a quality product that you sell at a reasonable price, and you work your ass off getting out there and marketing it. And MLM typically doesn't work for most people because they're not willing to run it like a business. They have been sold on the idea that all you have to do is call your friends, and this product sells itself. How many times have we heard that? This product oh will God. sell itself. No, it won't. <laughs> so, you know, I have people, I have great friends who work in the MLM industry, who, who train people in the MLM industry, and they don't even disagree with what I have to say. The percentages of success are very, very small. And if you get approached to go into MLM, ask them how many people in the whole organization are there, how many people make more than 100000 a year, how many people make a million dollars a year. In fact, let's find out how many people are making 500 bucks a month doing this. And I bet you'll be amazed at how low the numbers are. I'll tell you one thing that uh, really doesn't amaze me based on what I know is I have a couple friends of mine that are always getting involved in multi-level marketing. In fact, I saw uh, just twice this morning on Facebook, just scanning my Facebook news feed while I enjoy my breakfast to see what's going on in the world of business and what other entrepreneurs are talking about. I saw this friend of mine who lately has been doing Mary Kay parties and uh, uh, I think the other ones, uh, I can't exactly what it is, but it's like homewares or something like that. And she's putting up statuses on Facebook to the effect of, Hey, who out there would like to, uh, who would be interested in this? Uh, like my status so I know whether I should get involved. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself exactly what you said. She's going out to her friends 
on Facebook asking if they would be interested in buying stuff from her. Now, is that really a quality product that sells itself? Is that really treating it like a business? I don't think so. What do you think? No, really, the goal behind multi-level marketing is not about the quality of the product you sell and how much of it you sell. It's how many people you get signed up underneath you. That's where right. you make the money. See, if if I get one person that goes out there and sells a 1,000 units of product, well, that would be an amazing thing. But that's a hard one person to find. So the idea, right. and you'll make some money if somebody sells a 1,000 or something. But what typically happens is we get a 1,000 people, we sell them on this idea of richness and get quick rich, uh, get rich quick, and we sell them on that idea, and we get a 1,000 people to buy their own. <laughs> so a 1,000 people buy one, their starter kit. That's how it works. Right, right. And there, and there are so many programs out there. I didn't want to spend the entire hour here on multi-level marketing, but just when I saw <laughs> you know, that the video, whole idea, though, some, behind what yeah. you're talking about – here, Adam, it's the idea of get rich quick. We're all looking right. for the silver bullet. And right now, especially during recessionary times, we see more and more and more of it. We have people out there saying, I can teach you how to write a bestseller based on your expertise, when they've never written a bestseller. They'll teach you how to make seven figures. I saw a guy promote that he'll teach you how to make a seven-figure income, annual income, giving speeches on stage. You know, I've been in the speaking industry for almost 25 years, and I can tell you there are a handful of us who make over a million dollars a year standing on stage, just a handful of us. I do, and I can name you a handful of others, but very few people do it. No bozo is going to teach you how to go on stage when you haven't had the years of experience and the knowledge and the expertise and go on stage and make a million dollars doing it. Don't fall victim. Don't be so weak. Don't be so vulnerable. Don't be so broke that you think you have to spend tons of money to get into something that will make you rich instantly. It won't happen. I like that approach. I like that thought and I just want to really pull out there that it sounds to me, and, and, and this, this kind of leads to another question I want to ask you here. In my consulting business and also my internet marketing business, I have to screen prospects carefully because here's a trap that uh, I've fallen into way too many times. It's to the point where I can smell it a mile and a half, wet, mile and a half away, but sometimes they still fly under the radar. Too often, I run into people, and this is not only me, you know, me, but so many other people out there who have consulting businesses, who have online marketing-type businesses, and those who have public speaking businesses, where they have a client that will come up uh, who wants to pay somebody to make it happen and then sit back and count the dollars roll in. I mean, you have somebody who it's like, I have a great product, I have a great message, but I don't want to deal with this uh, Facebook stuff. I don't want to, you know, you know, have to do podcast interviews. I don't want to have to have to worry about my website. I don't even want to look at my website. I just want to give somebody a bunch of money and I want to have an awesome website. Oh, I know I need a blog. I just want to pay somebody to write my blog for me and then that's good enough. Now, in the end, I can't really help those people because when you don't get them the results they were hoping for, and you know, usually at that point they're hoping for Disney World, they turn on you. Uh, but at the meet, but on the other hand, the clients of mine who are successful, the ones who have been with me for five, six, seven, eight years. I mean, many of my top clients have been with me since 2005, 2006, 2007. Uh, one thing about them is uh, they don't have that mentality. Uh, they expect me to work hard for them. They expect their other people on their team to work hard for them. Just like people who work for me and my team, they give their all for me because I give my all for them. And I think that's the way it is. But when I look at the people who are successful, they – 
they are leveraged to the hilt. I mean, they have all the virtual team stuff that you could dream of, and they're focusing their time on the right things and everything else. But even so, they're still up at 5 o'clock in the morning with their sleeves rolled up ready to get to work. Now, what do you think leads people to believe that they can just create a product and they can outsource everything and then just sit back and count the dollars? You know, we've been uh, hearing that, though, for hundreds of years. I think it was in, uh, you know, probably the mid-1800s, some bozo said, build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. And we still have this way of thinking that if we create something amazing, that people will run to us. That's not how it works. I don't care how good you are. You've got to get out on the street and sell it. And when I say get out on the street, these days what that means is you have to have all the social media in place. You have to have an outbound a calling program to go out and reach customers. Good things rarely interrupt us. You know, that's a great line from Jim Rohn, who was really one of my true uh, gurus in this industry. Good things rarely interrupt us. You have to go out and find them. You have to look for them. You have to turn over every rock. You've got to do the work. And I have a real issue with people who hire other people to do everything for them. First of all, they hire other people to do everything for them when they've got plenty of time to do it themselves. And okay. That's an expense that is not needed because normally people hire somebody to do everything for them when they don't have the money to pay themselves anything. So do it yourself for a while. You know, to this day, I'm the one who posts my Facebook postings. I'm the one who does all of my own social media. I'm interactive. That's why I'm kind of one of the kings of social media in my industry right now because I talk to the people that post. It takes very little time to do that in the course of my day. Maybe one hour, if you add it all the times, I'll pop on there and say, well, who has said something stupid that I can argue with? And that's kind of my <laughs> approach because I'm confrontational and I post things that make people think, that rile them up, that touch them emotionally. That's, the, that's what I do. Uh, but I do that for me. I don't pay somebody to do that stuff. If somebody, and, and I've got a lot of friends that, who do this for a living, and they have huge staffs of people. And most of those people that had huge staffs of people doing this are now out of business, and they have jobs, big names in the speaking and personal development industry. I always kept my organization small. I always uh, did what I uniquely could do and hired people to do what I could not do at all or what they were better at. And I put some great incentive on them so they would go out and feel like if they contributed, they were rewarded for their contribution. And that process right there, my philosophy of, of hiring and managing and, and participation and in the overall revenue that we generated as a team, that's worked very well for me. But I think people should keep it small. Don't look for a silver bullet. Don't look for somebody else to make it happen for you. Get more involved yourself. Roll up your sleeves. Get up early. Stay up late. Do whatever it takes. Do the work yourself. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. I and I, and I found that myself. I, I think I said at the very beginning of our interview here, and this is something I believe for a long time, Larry, I have found that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I can tell you, you said something there just a moment ago, the, the quote from Jim Rohn, and it really made me think of all the things that interrupt me during my day. Every time my phone rings and it's not a scheduled call or it's not a phone number I recognize, or I do recognize the number, and I'm thinking, why is this person calling me? I could not 
think of a single time, and I was playing this in my mind while you were speaking, I could not think of a single time where any of those incoming things was good news. <laughs> I could not think of any one of those things that actually benefited the thing that was going on in front of me right now that was generating results that were somehow actually moved me forward. I could only think of interruptions, things that held me back, things that made my, my day longer here. I mean, I'll give you another example here while we're doing this recording. Um, I, uh, I had an incoming phone call. I had my ringer turned off so I could see the phone number, and I recognized that number as the place where my mail goes. And I know exactly why they're calling. It's because my girlfriend, uh, who's going to be moving in with me here soon, uh, she's still in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm in Las Vegas. She's shipping her stuff out here so she doesn't have to bring it on a plane with her. And uh, I know that that was the UPS store calling saying they have 18 boxes from Kelly sitting there and they need me to get them out of there. They're going to start charging me. So that was an unexpected phone call that was not scheduled, was not planned, and me having to go pick up those boxes is not going to make me money. So that's just a classic example of good news doesn't just show up. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah and, I, you know, I, I hear it a lot in the corporate world too, Adam. People yeah. say they have – CEOs will brag to me, I have an open-door policy. And I'll say, well, then I bet you don't get much done during the day. Right. Because if you have an open-door policy, some bozo is just going to be wandering down the hall and walk into your open-door policy and take up your time and cost you valuable time that could be spent on right. something that made your company money or helped you really help the employees that needed help instead of those who just wanted to waste your time while they were kissing up to the boss. Close your door. And it's what you said. Ignore the call. Set aside a dedicated time to do those kind of things where you take those calls. Set aside an hour a day. People will leave a message. There's rarely anything in the world that is so important. It can't wait till the one hour a day that you set aside for that, 3 to 4 o'clock or something like that. Pick your own time. But things right. can wait. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. And and at some point after we finish this interview, I'm going to call them back, and they're going to verify for me that's exactly what it is. And I'm going to say that's cool. I'll be down at four o'clock to get the boxes because I can't let that take away from my day. I got to get stuff done. And it's because you have clear priorities. Most people don't have clear yeah. priorities, and we become so addicted to our phones ringing and to our tweets and to our messages that we can't get anything done. If you have very clear priorities and say, "I don't care what gets done today, this must get done." And the most important thing will get done if nothing else gets done, which is what I think everybody should be doing. Know what must get done and make sure that gets done. Nothing else will get in your way. I know what has to be done every day when I get up. I said, I don't care what else gets done today. These three things have to get done. Those are my priority, and nothing will get in my way until those are done. People don't think that way. People love Absolutely. to be interrupted. It's a way to, to have an excuse for not doing well. You don't understand how busy I am. You're not busy at all. You are taking up time doing things that do not contribute to your bottom line, and at the end of the day, you'll sit around and say, I didn't have time to get anything done today. Yeah, I've never found that when I actually try to get something done that I didn't get it done. That's just me. I don't know, but some people may think differently about this. Now, the first time I ever heard of Larry Wingett, the first time I ever visited your website and checked you out and saw what you were doing and what you were giving to the world, uh, the first thing I heard you say is that all people are idiots and you can prove it. 
And I think at least some of our listeners on some days would nod their heads in agreement. Larry, I'll tell you, there are times when I start my day in the morning and I, you know, you know, after, you know, first thing I do in the morning is I, you know, I have breakfast, I spend some time with Batman, my cat, and I get myself acclimated. I, you know, I do a meditation and everything else, get myself in the right mind frame. Then I look at something I've written down, I pull it out of my drawer, and I say, this is the thing I'm going to do that's going to move something forward that's going to make money for this business. And I'm not going to look at anything incoming until that's done. I get that done. Then I open up my email, and the first five messages I read are just such complete stupidity. It's like, I, I can't even read this anymore. It's like, so sometimes even I feel everybody, you know, they're all people are idiots. That may or may or not be true, but I think uh, you're saying you can prove the people are idiots. How are they idiots? Well, that is the title of one of my bestsellers, People Are Idiots and I Can Prove It. It's probably yes. the easiest book I ever wrote. Anybody could write this book. It's not hard to prove that people are idiots. If you look at society in general, we can prove that people are idiots. When you realize that the average 50-year-old in America has $2,500, that's it. $2,500. Okay. You're 50 years old. Let's say you went to work when you were 25 years old. Most people go to work much earlier than that, but let's just say you did. You've been working right. 25 years, the, and all you've got to show for it is $2,500, $100 a year, $8.33 a month, less than 2 bucks a week is all you've got. You're an idiot. I mean, that's just how it is. <laughs> You're an idiot. That's the average amount of money the average 50-year-old has right now in America. When you realize that the average amount of credit card debt per indebted household is over $15,000, $15,832 is the average amount of credit card debt. That's stupid. You're an idiot. When you realize that, and I often ask my audiences, I said, how many of you have kids and how many of you really love your kid? And every single person that has kids said, yeah, we love our kids. And when you look at the American Parenting Association, the average amount of time that parents spend in meaningful conversation with their children is three and a half minutes per week. That's three and a half minutes a week? A week. Meaningful conversation with their children. We're real define communication. Mean, define goes meaningful on. conversation, Larry. Please define meaningful conversation. I, I, I think it's a little more than that. how was your day, or pick up your clothes, or wake up, or turn the TV off, or there's your food. That's not meaningful conversation. I'm talking where you're, you're talking to your kid. Well, where there's a give and a take, where you ask them a question, then you shut up and actually listen to what they have to say. Very little meaningful conversation goes on. So, yeah, we love our kids. We just don't love them enough to sit down and talk to them anymore. When you realize that 25% of teenage girls have an STD, 50% of non-white teenage girls have an STD, parents are not doing their job. That's poor parenting. When you realize, I mean, we could go on and on and on about the stupidity of the American person. We're the fattest society on the planet of the earth. We spend more money on health and weight loss and fitness than any other society, and yet we're still the most obese. That's stupid. You know what? You, you want to lose weight? Eat less, exercise more, period. Everybody says that's the thing that it comes down to. Eat less, exercise more. No silver bullet there either. <laughs> and if you want to have more money, everybody says they want to have more money. This is what we were talking about earlier, that people talk success and practice failure. You know, only two ways to have more money, earn more, spend less. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. They asked me one day how I became one of the top four money gurus right now in the country in the terms of personal finance. I said, I'm not really sure. You know, pretty much all I've got is spend less money than you make. 
But for some reason, that makes me a guru. People are looking for the hard answers. We want hard answers to our problems, so when we fail, we'll go, oh, it was so hard. No, it's not hard. None of this stuff is hard. It means you get off your ass in the morning and you go to work doing the right things. You live a life based on honesty and integrity and doing the right thing, treating others well, treating them with respect, demanding respect for yourself and being respectable, working hard. That's what it takes to be successful. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, so, Larry, what else is wrong with America? (laughs) You can tell I've been following your blog here a little bit. You know, you have been – Following my blog, that was turns out to be one of my most popular that I've done in a good long while. I did a big rant on what's wrong with America. You know, in that rant, uh, and I could have gone on for a long time, what's wrong with America, but in that particular rant, I said we've lost our balls. You know, that's why I wrote a book called Grow a Pair. Uh, we no longer will stand up for ourselves. We have politicians who are crooks, felons. <laughs> Uh, who have been convicted of huge fraud violations, and we just keep voting them back in. We have right. people we we know are crooks that doesn't bother us at all. Think about it on a much different level, though. You walk down the street, and you watch somebody throw his gum wrapper down on the street. Do you say anything to him about it? No, you don't say anything to him about it. You don't have the balls to speak up. You watch people right. cut in line. Do you tell them, wait, that's not right, I've been standing here. No, you just bite your tongue and mumble under your breath and let them cut in line. You go to the movie theater, watch people text, talk, treat it like it's their living room. Do you speak up? Do you even even go get a manager when you don't have balls to say anything yourself? No, you don't do a thing, you just complain. That's what we've become. We've become a society of victims who it's always somebody else's uh, fault. It's their fault I'm not successful. We're victimized by everything. We have to sue people for everything. We've become weenies when it comes to standing up for ourselves. We don't stand up for other people either. We don't stand up for what we believe because we're so unsure of what we believe. We don't want to say and take a stand for something because somebody might disagree with us. And somebody disagree with us, we wouldn't feel good about ourselves because what all of us are seeking is 100% approval all of the time. That's what we've been conditioned to look for, 100% approval all the time, because we want people to like us rather than respect us. That's what's wrong with America. Yeah, you know, I think there's something else, too, and, uh, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not taking a side politically one way or the other. People who know me well know kind of where I stand on these issues, but I'm just making a point that's applicable no matter which side of the aisle you're sitting on here. You remember the election of 2012 and everybody's screaming that we need change, that uh, we can't let the country go this way, that there has to be a radical shift in power, and we can't let Obama keep doing this, we can't let the Republicans keep doing this. You remember all that talk? Mm-hmm. And I remember... Election night 2012, I was just getting on an airplane in Phoenix, Arizona, because I was at a retreat in Phoenix, Arizona, and just as the election results were starting to get reported on the news, I'm getting on the airplane. And um, then I get off the airplane in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I was still living at the time, right around the time that Romney was conceding the election. And I have all these people complaining. I'm seeing all this you know, bickering on Facebook and things like that. And then you have some people saying, you know, we won or we lost or what have you. And my thought was, you were saying that there are all these problems. 
You're saying that all these things need to change, that we can't have four more years of this. We can't have four more minutes of this. So why do we have the same man in the White House? Why do we have statistically the same Senate and the same House of Representatives and statistically the same division of governor's houses between Democrats and Republicans? So for all this complaining, why do we have these things exactly the same? Because people were not involved enough to vote. See, voting is one of those things that takes action. You've got to leave your house. You've got to be inconvenienced just a little bit. And people aren't willing to do that. You know, our government is a reflection of who we are. It is exactly who we are as people. The government spends too much money because we spend too much money. That's who we are as a nation. We don't think anything about the government being $17 trillion in debt because the average household is too deeply in debt. The government spends more money than it takes in because people spend more money than they take in. We are great at complaining, but we don't want to do anything about it. We have more takers right now than we have makers, so don't expect a big shift in the way we are politically for a good long while, if ever, because we're not willing to do what it takes. When you realize that only 60% of Americans who are eligible to vote are registered to vote, and only 40% of the 60% who are registered bother to show up to vote, yet 100% of America will bitch about the fact they don't like the government. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, it's one thing to complain about it, and it's another thing to actually do something about it. Uh, I decided after that election, and my friends on Facebook will remember this, that, uh, you know, and I had people coming to me saying, uh, you know, and, they, and because they knew where I stood on the issue, and they were either congratulating me or offering condolences or whatever, and, uh, and then there were the I told you so's and the ha-ha-ha's and all this other stuff, and my response was, you know what, this has all been a fun ride, but by 3 o'clock today, the only thing I'm going to see in my Facebook news feed is information that's going to help me be more successful as an entrepreneur, inspirational things, people who make a difference, and lolcats, because I like lolcats. Everything else is not going to be in my news feed anymore. I'm not going to unfriend anybody, but if I still see you bitching about this election, I'm going to unsubscribe from your updates. And there's something else I, I, I think noticed that's fair. Here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's something else I noticed here too, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Now that we, you know, we're heading down this path a little bit, because I think it's so valuable to our listeners to understand this. In the end, I only had to disconnect myself from three people's updates, and all that venom just seemed to disappear. Meanwhile, I'm thinking everybody's complaining about it. It was really only three people I had to disconnect from, and all that stuff disappeared. Yeah, and that's because you took a stand. That's kind of what my book Grow a Pair is about. Figuring out what you believe, what you're willing to put up with, and what you're not willing to put up with, communicating that to those around you, <clears throat> excuse me, and then taking that stand and enforcing it. When you do that, isn't it amazing how much life, better your life gets? When you do that, isn't it amazing how people start to respect you because you followed through on what you said? They weren't empty words. They weren't hollow words. You actually meant it when you said it. That's the place I want to get people to. My book, Grow a Pair, is not about what's between your legs. It's what's between your ears. What are you willing to stand up for? If I walked up to the average person on the street and said, tell me four things that you believe, uncompromisingly you believe them, you will never change your mind on this. This is who you are. Give me four things. And they'll look at you like a dog looking at a ceiling fan. They don't have a clue what they believe. You know, I know what I believe. I'm firm on this. You'll never shake me on this. And my friends know that, and my followers know that, and the people who read my books, they know what I stand for. So few people are willing to take a stand. I respect anybody who takes a stand, even if I disagree with them. 
I admire the fact. I have people who hate me, who are huge fans of mine. They hate me, and yet they're fans of mine. They buy my stuff because I believe people are so so drawn to somebody who stands up for their beliefs, even when others will disagree with them. I tend to feel the same way. If somebody completely disagrees with me, uh, if they see things completely the opposite of the way I do, that doesn't make them my enemy. It doesn't mean that I disrespect them or anything like that. On the other hand, I'm thinking, okay, well, they got something to say, and they got a reason for saying it, and they're saying it. That's something different than just people saying, well, well, look at that. I mean, uh, I mean, Larry, I think you've heard the joke about the difference between the Porcupine and the BMW. Yep. One's got you the on the inside. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, that whole, it's that whole mentality, well, if somebody's driving around a BMW, they must be a prick. Now, I see, if I see somebody driving around in a BMW, I'm thinking, they must have done something right. They must have found a way to afford that BMW. My first guess is they probably didn't spend all their money on pizza and uh, pay-per-view. I had a guy follow me. I've had three death threats. When you're as vocal as I am and out there like I am, you get that kind of stuff. I had a guy follow me out of a Costco. I was driving my wife's car that day. She drives a Porsche. I drive a big pickup. And as I got in the car, he followed me out, stood in front of the car, and said, I cannot believe this is what you drive. He went on and on and on. He was screaming and yelling at me, and it got really, really ugly. And I said, listen, buddy, get out of my way and so forth. He said, but you tell people to spend what they can afford, and you drive a Porsche? I said, it's because I can afford it. <laughs> now move. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. There's something else I still need to cover here with you, and I think this is going to be very important, man. We could probably talk all day. Uh, this is this is probably one of the best interviews we've ever done. I think it's the one that's really going to be very interesting and exciting for our listeners because there are some priceless insights being shared here today about how you need to look at your business and how to look at your life. Now, there are a lot of business owners out there. I, I encounter them, and I swear, when I see them coming, when I hear their voice on the telephone, I envision them walking along in life. They're, they're bent over you know, you know, cause, because they're carrying a 200-pound of sand and a sack on their back, and they're trying to walk around while they're carrying it. They're bent over. They're hunched over. Their knees are about to give out. And, man, I feel way down just listening to it. And over the course of our time here together, Larry, you've told us about how you need to get rid of things to be successful. It's about what you give up that's getting in the way of your success. And I personally benefited from your eight-eighths of leadership. And this is something that I think our listeners would really like to hear something about. Could you tell us a little bit about the eight-eighths of leadership? Yeah, I, I kind of hated it when I wrote it because I don't like any of that cutesy stuff. But the eight-eighths of leadership are eight words that all end in eight, A-T-E, like create. The first thing you have to do is you have to create the right atmosphere where work gets done. That, uh, it's talking about uh, a way of thinking. It's also talking about how your office looks so it's not full of distractions so you can actually focus on the work. And this doesn't matter whether you run a huge corporation or whether you work out of your third bedroom. It doesn't matter. Uh, you have to create the right group of people around you. You have to create uh, uh, a, a way for things to run smoothly and that you've got the, the technology in place. It's all about the creating the right work environment. Then you move on to you have to learn how to delegate. And, and that means that you have to delegate what 
is better done by someone else, and I've got all these different rules for delegation, you have to educate. You have to educate yourself. You have to educate those who work for you on how you want it to be done. You have to communicate how you want it done. See how all these words end in A-T-E. Here's the one that always confuses people. When I get to the end, and, and by the way, my last eight is amputate. Sooner or later, you've got to cut some folks loose. You've got to cut loose some people who are holding you back. Cut them loose. I think firing is something you do for people, not to people. I think the best thing you can do is fire somebody from the job they've got with you so they can go find a job that suits their attitude and their skills better. So it's not a horrible thing. Uh, then people always come to me and said, Larry, I've listened to your 8-8s. And by the way, that's in my book. It's called Work for a Reason. That's the name of the book. It's called Work for a Reason. Uh, most people think it's about socializing and so forth. No, work is about work. But uh, people say, Larry, I listened to your 8-8s. I read them all here. There's one missing. There's no motivate in there. And you're absolutely right. I do not believe in motivation. In fact, I am I've also one of my other trademarks, in addition to the pit bull of personal development, is I'm the world's only irritational speaker. I don't think I can motivate you from where you are to another place. I'll guarantee you I can make you so irritated with where you are. You'll be willing to do anything to go to another place. So I don't believe in motivate. I blank people motivate themselves. Motivate just means move to action. Everything that's said, everything that's going on in the business should move people to action. Uh, and so I don't talk much about motivation. That's for sure. But my 8-8s uh, have turned out to be very popular. People in business sure like them. I appreciate the fact that you recognize them. If people want to find out more about them, they need to read the book. It's called Work for a Reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I think you raise a very good point. I mean, I you know get so much motivation. You know, I, I watch videos. I go to seminars. I, I see the famous quotes from dead people that are supposed to be, make me sit up and take notes and say, oh, my God, the Mahatma Gandhi said something. That just changed my life. Yeah. Well, I find, I, find, I find all this stuff is interesting, and I find that it's good for my mindset. One of the things I do, Larry, is every month, um, and this is probably because I don't really, quote, unquote, need it, is I go for at least an hour of hypnotherapy. I mean, I don't have, I, even if I don't know exactly what I'm going there for, I go there for an hour every month. And uh, I'll sit down with a the hypnotherapist. They'll get me talking a little bit, and then we'll do the exercise. And, man, some of the results are just amazing. I'll tell you, the first thing that happens after I get my hypnotherapy is I come home, I, I sit down with Batman, and I pull out a book and I read for a little bit, and then I go to sleep. And I'll wake up about five or six hours later feeling like I slept for two days. There you go. And it just you know, we need to learn how to take little mini vacations. That's what you're doing. Yeah. You're just allowing your mind, your body, and spirit to relax for a while, to step away. I think that's an exactly. excellent idea. Exactly, and, and part of the reason part of the reason I do it every month, even if I don't, even if I don't even know why I'm going there, is because I know the power it has to open up my brain. Um, it's better to maintain something that works than fix something that's broke. Yeah, I agree that's, with that's you. What I, that's what I that's what I think. And going along with that, uh, the other thing that I wanted to. Uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, just ask you about very briefly here is, you know, since we're talking so much about some of your books here, because I think you have some great messages and people really need to check you out and read some of your books and learn more about what you have to say, is we talked a little bit about kids earlier and how the average American family spends three minutes or something a week. Three with and a half minutes per week, yeah. Three and a half per minute is a quality conversation. And, uh 
you say to people, your kids are your own fault. And we talked about what's wrong with America and how the government is a reflection of who we are. I think we're heading down the same path here, but I think for our listeners, this could also come back and impact your businesses. Your kids are own, your own fault. Why, why are our kids their own fault, Larry? Well, we taught them to be who they are. They are a reflection of who we are. Just like uh, our government is a reflection of who we are, our kids are a reflection of who we are as parents. And uh, I think most people approach, and that's why I wrote a parenting book, I can tie almost every problem in America back to poor parenting. I can tie the fact that you go to, uh, to the, to the uh, fast food place and the kid can't count your change back to you, back to bad parenting. Mom and Daddy should have taught them how to count change. My goodness. Uh, the fact that no one can look you in the eye anymore and say, hello, my name is, that's a parenting problem. So I, I think we've approached, approached parenting incorrectly for a good long while. I think we need to, to look at it differently. I tell people that design the perfect 35-year-old. What does a successful 35-year-old need to know? <clears throat> well, they need to know about work and work ethic and responsibility. They need to know how to communicate effectively. They need to know about sex and relationships. There's a whole lot of things a successful 35-year-old needs to know. Here's what I believe. Figure out what you want your 35-year-old to know and work backwards. That's what it takes to raise good parents. Work backwards to make sure you are the one teaching them those skills and those techniques and those principles to build their life on. Don't rely on somebody else to do that. You know, if, if I told you to go out there and, and build a house, you wouldn't go to Home Depot, load up a truck and put a sink and a toilet and some lumber and some wire and go drive up to your, to your building site and just throw it out there on the ground and stand back and look at it and say, boy, I hope that works out. No, it doesn't work that way. Instead, you would have a plan. And you would have a, a, a set of plans that you could look at and build on every single day. That's how we need to raise our kids. We need a plan. So we have all the fun creating them, and then we have them and they, at the hospital, and we bring them home. And almost in essence, we do just like the guy building the house. We look at them and say, boy, I hope that works out all right. No, you've got to have a plan <laughs> on what you're going to teach them. And that's where we're making a mistake. We have a failed society right now because we have failed as parents to teach our kids about responsibility and ethics and commitment and that sort of thing. How does the same thing apply to business? So we look at our business and we say, well, this doesn't have the cash flow I want. I don't have the clients I want. I'm not as successful as I want to be. Uh, I feel like I'm busting my ass and I might as well just go work at McDonald's. How do we take the same concept and apply it to business and entrepreneurship? You know, the same qualities of leadership are the same qualities it takes to be a great parent. And you need a plan, too, for your business. Most people are doing it haphazardly. They get in business and say, boy, I hope this works out. Or they build a website. That seems to be the biggest time waster and stupid thing right now. I'll build mm-hmm. a website, and if I've got a great website, then I'll, get, I'll be successful. That's all it takes. And they're not doing anything to make their website work. Or I'll get on Facebook, and as long as I'm on there and I'll build a following, I'll be successful. You know, we've alluded to a lot of those things in the last hour but the point is you have to have a plan for your business and you have to work your plan you have to realize at the end of the day it's not how busy you were it's how busy you were doing the right things that moved you forward it's about having clear priorities so you know what the result looks like in advance that's where people are making a mistake they don't know what the results look like in advance what do you really want to have happen and what are you doing every single day every minute of every day to make sure that what you're doing moves you closer to your goals and not farther away from your goals 
Yeah, that, I think that's been very important for people to think about. And here's something I want to seize on right now is, you know, I used to be in the web development business. I used to own a company that uh, that did web design, and in 2010, I got rid of all that because what I was attracting are people who believed the website was the goal. The website is not the goal. So if you're spending $10,000 on the website and you know, you're going through five different layers of everything and getting everything perfect before you even show this thing to a customer, I mean, you know, we built all these big websites and we never hear from the people again because they were already emotionally, physically, and financially exhausted just getting the website built. Yeah, uh, a website nothing large, but a tool. A speech is nothing exactly. but a tool. My books are tools in my overall business plan. Everything I do right. is just a tool, and that if you start looking at it as the end-all, be-all, you're going to be a failure. Right, exactly, whereas I've seen people be extremely successful. I mean, we have a, we have a client right now that decided last year, I mean, he's been doing pretty well in the business he's in right now, but he decided that he wanted to go into another business. It was kind of a similar line of work, a similar background, but he wanted to do something different. And his approach was, well, I know we need a website, but uh, can we just like go put up WordPress and get a theme for now so I can start blogging this and start talking to people? And then I want to do my live event, and then I want to sell the footage from the event, and I'm thinking this is exactly the successful mindset. And this is why this gentleman has made over $50,000 with this new venture that he hasn't really even spent a whole lot of time on yet, and it doesn't even really have a website other than just a quick WordPress site with a theme that he bought. because. Yep. He realized that people really don't give a rat's ass about his website. They want him to make the changes in their lives to give them the success that they need so they can go do things. And, I, and I, I've even said to him, you know, at some point you're going to have to put up a website around this thing because you're going to have products and you're going to have uh, you're going to want to do public speaking based on this topic and everything else. But I don't really want you to reach into your pocket. I don't want you to, um, you know, give our designer your credit card so they can charge you money so they can create a, you know, a design for you or anything like that. I want your customers to pay for this. I agree with you. Good yeah. to me, so let's go get customers to pay for it. So he's viewing the website as a tool, but other tools are working just as well. Yep. Yep. I agree. Yeah. So so as we wrap up here, and we're right near the top of the hour, uh, what is the, if somebody were to walk away from the time we've spent together here this past hour with just one thing, one phrase from Larry Wingett to have echoing in their mind, resonating with them as they apply what they've learned today, what is that one phrase or that one saying do you want programmed in their brain that's going to move them forward today? Success comes from sacrifice. Know what you want, know where you are, and know what you're going to sacrifice to get from where you are to where you want to be. That's what it comes to every single time. What are you going to give up? That is perfect. So, Larry Wingett, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. And uh, just real quickly, tell our audience if they want to learn more about you or they want to get engaged with you, just some of the things you can do for folks and some of the ways they can learn from you. And, you know, just what, what, what can they do? I mean, we know the website, LarryWingett.com. What are some of the things that they should be looking for when they get there? You know, uh, you can always buy autographed copies of my books there. One of the things that I'm real proud that I recently came out with is a virtual training program. It's 17 bucks a month. You get hours and hours and hours of me on lots of different topics, very interactive, little quizzes along the way. And it's, at, uh, it's the first thing on my website, LarryWingett.com, and it's also at LarryWingettVT, virtual training, VT.com, where you can look at it and see a sample of it. It's what I'm most proud of that I've done in a good long while. But you can watch any of my videos. If you have a question for me, uh, you can 
just write me at info at LarryWingate.com, and I'll be happy to answer that on my Ask Larry Anything series on YouTube. Go to my website, look through my video vault. If you want to know how to follow Larry Wingate, there's lots of ways to do it. Follow me at Larry Wingate fan page on Facebook. I promise it'll be fun. I, I'm on it. I'm on it myself, and I agree entirely. And just to remind all of our listeners: anytime you want to connect with any of our guest experts, especially including Larry Winget, just go to the just go to the guest expert section, and you'll see the listing of their interviews. You'll see their biographical information. You'll see the links to their websites and their social media, so you can get connected with them. So, Larry, again, thank you very much. This has been quite an I've education. I've had a great time. All right, and everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where our experts help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until then, have a great day. Take care.